stops, launches deep, Jalen Guyton, he's got it! Touchdown Chargers, what a throw! And now, your hosts of the Shock Therapy Podcast, Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. What's up, Zach? How's the new job going? It's up great. You know, first weekend, a lot of memorization, but uh, having a, a lot of fun. I'm, I'm super excited to have landed that position, and I wanted to thank you for, you know, offering to be my one of my references. I know you didn't actually get to talk to uh, the recruiter, but it, I, I think it just your willingness to talk to them uh, definitely helped in the hiring process. So thanks for that. I got to talk to her for about 30 seconds, man. She gave me a call. I was in the car and I was going into, to go see, I forgot what movie I was going to go see, uh, but I was going, I think I was seeing Batman and uh, she called and I was like, Oh, I'm literally about to walk into a movie theater right now. And I was like, okay, let me go and like try to set something up with you on Monday. And then Monday comes around and you got hired. And I was like, I did my job. Yep. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Congrats, so for- man. So what are you doing exactly? Tell me t- tell me a little bit about your job because it's, yeah. it's a sports-related job, right? It is. It is. Um, so I got hired on at the Sacramento River Cats. So it's a, a minor league baseball team, the uh, affiliate for the San Francisco Giants. And I got brought on to the sales team, um, looking to sell tickets with a emphasis on getting, you know, companies to come out and throw their uh, corporate meetings or holiday parties or uh, whatever it may be. Looking to just uh, sell big, large group tickets. You uh, you've been to the stadium there, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, that's where my office is, and it's it's beautiful. Um, for as minor league stadiums go. I've never been to a minor league game, but from what everyone says, it's one of the coolest uh, stadiums in minor league baseball. Um, and in general, I, I've been to tons of stadiums over my life as just a, a huge sports fan. It is super unique. Um, you got the beautiful San Sacramento uh, skyline as the backdrop. It is covered in all types of um, trees, and they even have a garden that's the first sports team in the world to grow their own uh wine or grow their own grapes and they actually just harvested uh last season and brewed up i don't know not brewed up but made like a half barrel of wine and they're going to be selling it in this season as in a little wine snow cone slushies uh calling it river cat red it's a good time if you ever are in the sacramento area and looking to have a group event you know please hit me up uh zach alfers at twitter zach alfers on instagram hit me up i'll take care of you and even if i can't get you a ticket sales i could definitely get you to a person who can help you out influencer at heart (laughs) that hey i'm always selling this is my first sales position but uh it seemed during the interview process, I kind of just realized, like, I'm always naturally just selling stuff and I'm selling me <laughs> right now. And I get it, it just it's a, it's a fun kind of leeway into it. I'm excited to get going. It, there's a well, lot. Congrats, man. Thanks. Congrats. And I'm excited for you. Uh, let's talk some Chargers football, man. We got to do it. A couple things going on here right now. So I know since we last had our pod uh, we signed Christian Covington to a one year. I think it's like 1.2 million, kind of a veteran minimum. Um, so we went and signed, uh, re-signed Christian Covington to to play that rotational defensive tackle role. Uh, we also signed J.K. Scott punter, who had like one game with the Jaguars last season. I uh, wasn't very good. I don't think I, I I don't expect him to be our our day one starter. I definitely think we're gonna draft somebody, if not Areza. Uh, there's another punter in the draft. I can't think of his name right now, but we're going to bring in some competition. There's no way we're going to let J.K. Scott come in and just run away with this when he really did not have a great three years with the uh, Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers actually let him go in his third year, and he he still had a whole extra year left of uh, eligibility under that rookie contract. And then I think the big signing 
the one that kind of caught me off guard a little bit, tight end Gerald Everett, two years, $12 million. Have you had a chance to watch any of Gerald Everett? He's fun, exciting player. Uh, and I think he's found himself in a perfect situation to go from that, who is that guy, to, oh, yeah, I know Gerald Everett. He's a household name because he has some skills. I think he's just kind of been underutilized and hidden the fray down there in Seattle's lackluster offense that they like to run. You know, when he was with the Rams, he had a really, really good season playing behind Tyler Higby and, and still mm-hmm. being that one-two punch at tight end when they come in big sets. Uh, he offers some rack ability too that a lot of people don't really know about. There's like one highlight that comes to my mind where he, he gets stopped like 10 yards short and he fights through and reaches out with yeah. the ball over the goal line. Um, and I saw one of the other stats that I saw about him, his drop percentage is like half that of what Jared Cooks was. Um, he's a, he's a ascending player, right? 26 yeah. years old. And a player is going to come in and compete with Donald Parham. I still want Donald Parham to be tight end one, but I think he's, he offers you some flexibility there. The Chargers haven't brought back uh, Jared Cook. They didn't bring back uh, Steven Anderson quite yet. Um, and it gives them three pretty young options, one veteran presence there at the tight end room uh, to give us a little bit of a boost. And he's a, he's a more athletic player than Jared Cook is at this point in his career. And he's an ascending player, which is probably mm-hmm. my favorite part about it. Yeah. Well, and, and there's and there's benefit in bringing in competition. It's only going to make everyone else better, regardless of who does come out on top as that tight end one. Both, All three of those guys that you mentioned are going to be, you know, have their own roles and be utilized heavily. Yeah, and I think he he's he's underrated as a a run blocker too like a lot of people don't really talk about that they talk about the ball skills um you know one of the other interesting things i'm thinking about now that i'm just kind of thinking about it with all these chargers draft picks did we sign a single guy over 30 years old uh Uh, we traded traded for khalil mack but But i'm looking at no i don't think so dustin hopkins uh, 27 27 yeah so you've got well no he's like 31 like 31 he's a vet but just looking at it right like you've got the the mike williams signing he's like 28 years old uh donald parham under 25 uh jalen guyton under 25 dustin hopkins but as a kicker i mean 30 is like the prime age to sign a kicker anyways jc jackson's probably like 25 26 austin johnson first contract away from his rookie contract uh seabass uh, Chase Daniel, there we go. We got our veteran. We can't call him Seabass. He, I, I, I was watching the interview with Haley. He doesn't uh, want to be called Seabass. He doesn't like the nickname. And he's big enough and scary enough to uh, for me to not want to insult the man. And now he's on the Chargers, so I want to root for him. We'll call him by his name, Sebastian. Uh, Storm Norton. Uh, we cut Brian Bulaga, Josh Harris, uh, Christian Covington, Gerald Everett, and J.K. Scott. I think we only signed Chase Daniel to – basically be the the old guy in that room to help Justin Herbert the way he did last season. Player coach. Player coach who doesn't play. Exactly. The Yeah, so the, the Chargers are going young. We signed a lot of free agents this time around. And I don't know if we're necessarily done. We just freed up this cap room, right? We might not be. I it, it, Well, and that's the thing. I, I'm done doubting these guys. Gerald Everett was a, a tight end that I didn't think, you know, listening to Tom Telesco and Staley talk was, was really a, a in, built in the mold of guys that they were talking about. I was really thinking we were going to get the Zach Ertz, the Rob Gronkowski's, the tenured veterans of this league. Never thought we would trade for Cleo Mack. Never thought we would sign a guy like JC Jackson. Never thought we would go all in on the defensive line like we did. So I'm just done doubting these guys. We, there's definitely room to make a move. Um, and I'm just, happily anticipating something happen. Uh, the Chargers also uh, restructured Khalil Mack's contract. They freed up some additional cap space. Uh, I think they got like 7 or $8 million to go spend left, taking into account that they're still budgeting for uh, draft picks and in-season transactions. Uh, I'm waiting for a, a right tackle or an offensive guard, and I'm waiting for a punter, a, a legit punter, and an RB2. And I think yeah. outside of that, you're pretty much good. 
we are phenomenally better than we were two weeks ago. Uh, and it's teams coming together. It's so, so exciting to see this off season has, has lived up to expectations. We have been dubbing it. You know, last year was a great off season. We've been dubbing this one as going to be the best in charge of history. And it's living up to all of that hype. And while we're getting better, you got a team like the Chiefs who are getting worse. Why do they do that? It makes no sense. I feel like from both parties, uh, uh but I'm happy to see him go. Tyreek Hill gets traded to the Dolphins for like five different picks, and they only got one first rounder for him. One first rounder, wow. but two top 50 picks. Uh, still, still. Uh, it, what are you doing here, Chiefs? Um, and then they signed Marquez Valdez Scantling, Scantling, right, to replace him in Juju, who's going to be their wide receiver one. It's really, really, really interesting move for them because for a team that's paying Patrick Mahomes all this money, they're going to go out there and get two, three solid um, draft picks. It could potentially work out for them. Well, And so here is the one thing that I've been hearing where it kind of makes sense from the Chiefs' perspective, and that being that Last year, if you look at the stats, it's one of Tyreek Hill's least productive seasons of his career. And so if you're the Chiefs and you see that and you think Tyreek Hill's best years are behind him, well, this is the prime time to get as much capital for him as possible if you're going to trade him. So if they're thinking that he's on the decline, it makes a lot of sense to cash in now. I'm not buying that. I don't that, think Tyreek Hill on the on the decline. I don't. Well, I don't think he's on the decline, but he's no longer on the rise, right? I th- I do think his best seasons, he has had them, and they were with Patrick Mahomes. I still don't. I'll say that they're the his best seasons are behind them, and that's because he's leaving Patrick Mahomes for Tua. And you know, I keep seeing all these memes like like uh, Tua's looking at Tyreek Hill, sixty down yards of the line, and he's looking like, "How am I supposed to throw it to you?" Because like, well, the arm strength of Tua. So, if you want to look at that, I don't think Tua's going to throw the ball past 5-10 yards. With, you know, McDaniels taking over, I think you're going to see a whole lot of RPO, some quick stuff, get the ball out of his hand, and let them use that speed on that offense. you got Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Chase Edmonds, and Raheem Mostert brought in the backfield. And we could talk about Tua's lack of arm strength all day. The guy could still move. He's a great athlete. So, when you have all of those athletes... You don't need to throw the ball down the field that far. You just got to get it out fast. I mean, there's a reason why Jalen Waddle was so effective in that offense. And it's all the, the, I mean, that just became slant university right there. Like that's what you're <laughs> doing there. You're just right. throwing slants and then you're going to bubble screens. Like it's the, it's the offense predicated around Tua and Tua needs to be able to, to get the ball out rhythmatically. I just created that word off the top of my head, but like he's a rhythm passer, right? <laughs> I and, like it, and uh, that's kind of what I see him doing. I, I actually will do like the fit there because Jalen Waddle's got that speed, uh, Tyreek Hill's got that speed. You put them in the slot on either side, go four wide, dude. Like that's actually a, a pretty dangerous combination. And then if you want to use the speed to take the top off the defense. You've got Mike Gusecki and over the middle, which is oh, I even think about Gusecki, unfor you know, forgotten part of that offense. He's all yeah, the guy can play too. So I actually kind of like the fit there. Uh, I mean, if you look at why the the Chiefs, why why Kelsey has been the unicorn he's been the last few years. I mean, Tyreek Hill is taking the top off the defense, and mm. defenses have to get back there, and that opens up so much for him underneath, especially when you have a Cole Hardeman doing the same thing on you know on the opposite side there i think the biggest loser of this trade is travis kelsey that's probably fair that's probably fair because mahomes is gonna get his he's gonna make some leo matrix throws and yeah i I think that's a, a good call um travis kelsey benefited tremendously from having a guy like tyreek hill in that offense because you can't focus all your attention on him now he's the sole focus. He's the only focus on that offense. I'm really not worried about anybody else. Well, Mahomes, but as pass catchers go, as as playmakers go, as a defense, you're honing all the way in on Travis Kelsey. That's going to, you know, have tremendous effects on his production. 
Where does the Chiefs' offense fall in the AFC West rankings now? That's tough. I mean, that's a big piece of your offense. And while you can replicate some of that, right, but the Raiders got so much better. If you really look at what the Raiders have offensively, they might have the best four skilled position players on the offensive side of the ball of any team in the league. The quarterback is the, the little weird one, right? But you look at, you got Darren Waller, you've got Devontae Adams, you got Hunter Renfro, and you got Josh Jacobs. Those guys are going to be their four top playmakers without a doubt. Like everybody mm-hmm. knows it. And you look at the other top four players of like in a in, in an offense, the, the guys that your offense is going to run through, the only team I think that is still better is got to be the Bucks, with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, and Gronk when he eventually comes back out of retirement, that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be the 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 quad quad team. I don't know what you want to call them, right? Like every offense has four players that the yeah. offense runs through, right? And the quarterback has to distribute the ball. And I think Derek Carr is at the bottom of quarterback rankings in this division. But you look at the supporting cast, and I don't necessarily know if there's a better four group of sp- skill position players than the Raiders. But then you're looking at kind of where do where do the Chiefs fall now? Well, uh, how did I think what happened with this Tyreek Hill trade? I think coming before this trade, I think everybody in the division had a solid shot at becoming the division leader. But I think you had you, because of the Chiefs' dominance, they were the favorite. Now there's no clear favorite. And what's going to happen, there's going to be so much parity in this conference. Obviously, the whoever wins this division has to be the clear-cut front runner to win the Super Bowl. Even the second and third teams, with how strong this conference is, have a legit chance of getting into the playoffs as wild cards. That fourth team is only going to be out of con- playoff contention by one or two games at the very least, unless something dramatically happens because there's so much talent in that one division amongst those four teams. It's insane. And you know what else is kind of insane that nobody's really talking about? I think you can have four teams from a single division make the playoffs now with seven AFC games because we had added the extra playoff game. You have seven. Nobody even thought about that. Like that's totally a possibility if, it's hard. It's going to be really, really hard for a team to do that. But I think that it's possible because you can have seven teams. You have your th- four division winners and three other teams. And if three, the, huh? if the other three teams in the division run the table against everybody else, then it might be possible if you're splitting games with everybody. Well, that's the thing. I think it, nobody's going to get out of the conference with a better than four to, to two division record. But I see this conf- or this division going out of division games and just dominating. I just don't see how we're going to play six games against the three of the best teams in football and then go out and, you know, unless, you know, d- just don't bring it that day. The AFC West should run away with all out-of-conference games, especially when we go over to the NFC to play. Who do we have this year? In the NFC, it's yeah. the NFC East. Or the NFC West. So we play the Cardinals, Rams, Seahawks, and 49ers. Which is really difficult, by the way. That's going to be – those are going to be tough. Those are tough. Yeah, I'll take that back. Either way, we are definitely going to be favored in a lot of those games outside of the conference. Have we – has there ever been an offseason, not in the NFL, but like in any sport? Well – this NFL offseason is really like what we see every year in the NBA where LeBron will go and change the power dynamic of the league. KD will get traded and change the power dynamic of the league. Have you ever seen a power shift like this in the NFL in one offseason? I've never seen that at all. Like the NFC just became the, the minor leagues of the NFL <laughs> for the, the, the AFC. I we take that have- back. I take that back. We are not playing the NFC uh, West. We are playing the AFC South. But we what? do play the Rams. We do play the Cardinals. And we do play 
the Seahawks. So we're, we're playing yeah. three of those teams from the uh, AFC West. We don't play the 49ers. We don't play the 49ers? Oh, no, we're, I'm, yeah. I'm wrong. We do play the 49ers. It's an away game. So, yeah, it's the uh, AFC South and the NFC West. Yeah, okay. Bring it on. I, I, uh, I miss the 49ers. I mean, what a schedule, by the way, while we're just talking about it. Yeah. I mean, I could. there's so much football to talk about right now. But our <laughs> home games, I mean, we play our own division opponents. You got the Jaguars who are really improved their, on the de- defensive side of the ball. I think the Seahawks, which is ironic, is the easiest team that we're going to play this year because they don't have a quarterback. Yeah, well, as of now. Um... The Rams defending Super Bowl champs. The Titans, which is always going to be a tough matchup as long as Derrick Henry's there. Uh, we play the Dolphins. Uh, the Falcons might be another easy matchup. That's about it. We got the Falcons, Texans, and Seahawks, and everything else is going to be hard. Well, I say bring it on. You know, iron sharpens iron. We have had talented teams in the past that have just fell short. So I want all the smoke. I want all of I want everyone's best game in the regular season. So when playoffs come around, that shit's easy. I guess we'll we'll end up seeing here pretty soon. Uh, I'm really excited to see what we do for the draft. Uh, mm. Before we get into the draft, we're going over linebackers. I did want to bring up Sandbox Simulations. Our season just started. You win your first week. I did, and I did off some. Uh, I had a crazy ending to my game. I was up about, I was up like five points with about 10 minutes left and I had the ball punted to me and my punt returner, who I think is Keelan Cole, I'm not sure. My punt returner pulled to Travis Benjamin, ran five yards back and got tackled for a safety. Or I was up four points. I I was up four points with 10 minutes left, got the ball back. My punter returned the ball for negative five yards, gets safety. I'm up. I'm up two points at that point. They, I, I punt it. I hold them to a field goal. I'm down one point and ended up scoring the game-winning touchdown with like four seconds left. Jeez, that is that's exciting. <laughs> it was a Mac Jones to Devonte Adams touchdown for the winner. It was fun. I was uh, sweating going through the play-by-play because <laughs> I, yeah, I need to reset my game plan because um, it was it's not working. It's fun going through those those game plans, right? Like going through the uh, the box score, not the box score, but the play by plays. The play by reading, and you're going, you're reading, you're like, oh geez, oh no, you fumbled the ball. You're like <laughs> reading through it. Oh, it's fun, man. I'm it's so fun. excited. It's like this season. It's like one of those like um, you know like sto- you, you know like those game like games that you play where you like tell a story and you're like. What would you like to do? Go left or right? It, it's kind of like that, like that role playing kind of element. It was super fun. I I really enjoy the sandbox league, and this is my second year in a row. I started one and zero. Now I lost my last eight, nine, ten games of last season. So I'm hoping I don't. Uh, I'm hoping I can maintain this uh, winning streak I have. Well, it's one well, game. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I have. Stoked. I did win my game. I have to see if I play you. We now play once a week instead of every three days. So every like Sunday. That. Every Sunday, and it gives you more time. I'm I'm in three leagues, and they're all going at the same time. So I'm like That's constantly brutal. like trying to look at my game plans and whatnot. I might have to drop a team because it's just it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot of strategy. It's a lot mm-hmm. of sometimes. So what I'll end up doing for for my games is I'll go and I'll look at the other team's roster, and I'll be like, okay, they're weak at wide receiver. Let me go pass heavy this week, or uh, you know, they're they're defensive line isn't all that or whatever it is right because there's a lot of game planning goes into these sandbox leagues i have so much fun with it man i i swear by it uh if you guys don't know uh sandboxsimulations.com it's like madden franchise basically you draft your own team uh you set your game plan every week you decide how often you want to run you build your team based off of your vision and what they do is they take the stats from the previous season and help you simulate and you have to watch film you there's a lot that you have to do if you if you're a uh, a football junkie i highly highly recommend getting into sandbox simulations uh, it's a ton of fun and uh use code shock 20 at checkout you sell 20 percent off your first season uh it'll be like 15 bucks for a year and it's going to take up the next couple of months of your life 
Uh, and it's just a ton of fun. It's a ton of fun, man. I love it. It'll take up a couple months of your life if you just want to lose every game. If you want to win some games, you have to maybe put in a couple a month, an extra month uh, to get good. Study, yeah. I, I, I legit like kick last season. Oh, man. I, I made it to playoffs and I got kicked out first round of playoffs. Arjun is the one that ended up winning. He's the not whole fair. Thing. Who let him in the league? Who let I, stat genius analytic whiz into the league? Because that's not fair. That's not fair. Arjun's <laughs> our friend. Henry. This is Derrick Henry and Pop Warner. All right. Arjun's our friend over at the Pro Football Focus. He worked, He's an intern there. He's also a student at uh, University of Michigan. Kind of a stats whiz. Like I think that's what he's studying in college. And uh, I mean, he. I'm coming for him this season. It's it's not over. <laughs> well, everybody in our division won last week, Arjun included. So yeah, I, I I'm joking. Um, I'm not. I, I'm gonna destroy but, him this season. I'm joking. Where I'm saying I, I don't want him in the league. I'm glad he's there because he's good at what he does. And uh, if you could get up on Arjun, you're gonna be pretty. You're pretty good at at sandbox. Well, things are about to get really tough for me because I had Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson was out half the season. So I've got him for these next like three games. And then I've got Jonathan Taylor and I'm going run heavy the rest of the way. Yeah, I have no I have no right tackle. Well, something you'll have to deal with next season. Uh, at least you got like a Storm Norton type of uh, player there. <laughs> I just got a bunch of young guys. I got Larry Broom from the from the Chicago Bears. Uh, not great player, but he's young, so I'm hoping he can have a rebound year next year. So I, I'm playing more for future. I <laughs> I've got a bunch of young studs and a lot of. Well, I'm playing for the future. I mean, we should put some ball. money on this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We'll we'll get into it. Soon. We'll get into we'll get it into for when soon. when we play. Um, and we'll bring it on and we'll hype it that way. But I'm, right. I'm I'm down. I'm not scared of you. I know you beat so, me last year, so I'm ex- I, I have extra I, incentive to get over. Everybody beat you last year. <laughs> That's not true. I started off four and zero. Oh. Remember, I was leading the league was a in fluke. defense. The Jets I, also start off undefeated too. <laughs> no, what it was is what it was is I rigged. I I think I broke the simulation because I had Taysom Hill leading the league in quarterback rating. He was like thousand percent completion rate and had like a the ridiculous QB rating and only would throw touchdowns. He'd throw the well, ball five he'd throw the fall ball five times a game, but he would throw five touchdowns. Might have been a glitch. Anyways, let's I get I think back I glitched in. it and then and then it figured me out and it said you suck and I lost every game from there on out. <laughs> so we're going over linebackers. I'll go first because I'm super excited to talk about this guy. Devin Lloyd out of the University of Utah, 6'3", 232 pounds. Devin Lloyd is a stud. He's my favorite linebacker in this class. I think he's a top 15 player, regardless of if you want to play him off the edge, regardless if you want to play him at true linebacker. Devin Lloyd was the heart and soul, and I think he ended up winning the Dick Buckus Award for best linebacker in the nation. He did not. Uh, uh, that was your guy, Nakobe. Was it Nakobe? Well, yeah. It was Nakobe. We'll get into it. All right. So Devin Lloyd, he was a three-star recruit out of Ote Ranch High School in San Diego. Played wide receiver, played safety in high school before he moved to linebacker when he went to college. Uh, it really, really explains his athleticism upside. Uh, received very little playing time as a freshman, but was a full-time start- starter from his sophomore season on. Uh, in his sophomore season, he had 90 tackles and 11 tackles for loss. Whoa. Insane as a sophomore in his first full year as a, as a starter. I uh, was already getting the NFL hype. Uh, as a junior, he had 10 tackles for a loss in just five games. Like, that's outstanding. Uh, Utah had cut the whole pack 10, 12, had cut their whole season short. So he only had five games to show what he could do. And he literally could have been like a second-round draft pick last season with only five games. Uh, as a junior, uh Oh, that's as a junior. Uh, he actually nearly won the Buckus Award last season in five games. Jeremiah Wusukoromoda ended up doubling the amount of games he had and ultimately walked away with the, the prize. But for the fact that Devin mm-hmm. Lloyd ended up even being on the radar for the, for playing the half the number of games as everybody else is just – that's like such an insane statistic. Like he was an actual finalist – 
dressed up in his suit and went to the award ceremony and just played five games because of a shortened season. That's just outstanding. I love everything about that. Uh, he is the consensus top two first of the first round linebackers. Uh, Nakobe being the other one. Linebackers draft in the first round. They always have the same qualities. They're ultra athletic. They cover ground extremely fast. They have size to shed blocks and they help in the run game. Uh, they are expected to be tremendous leaders, and Devin Lloyd checks every single box that you want him to check. Uh, Michael Parsons and, and Devin Lloyd, they carry a lot of the same qualities. They play the run extremely well. They offer pass rushing ability if you want them to play off the edge, and Lloyd did that pretty often. And they get sideline to sideline, uh, chasing down ball carriers with precise angles, uh, limiting upfield yardage. He's like a constantly, he's consistently going to get you 10 tackles a game, and they're going to be impact tackles. Uh, quick to shoot the gaps, gets you negative yards. He had 111 tackles in 14 games last year and 22 tackles for loss and seven sacks. Whoa. Uh, man, he's just he's just an outstanding player. Uh, runs and attacks the quarterback when asked. He's fluid in pass protection. He had four interceptions and six pass deflections for the Utes. So he there is not like a part of his game that is bad that I could find at all. I think he's easily a first-round pick, easily a top-15 pick. The Chargers don't really value linebackers all that well, but honestly, I would not be surprised if he's available at 17 and they go, he's the best player available. We got to take him because he is that good. He's going to be a stud, all-pro. I'm all about it. Uh, I mean, obviously, Staley has shown that he has has very little – value for the off ball linebacker. I think that's really apparent where you see Kaiser White coming off a phenomenal season, still a free agent. How would you think, you know, drafting a guy like Devin Lloyd, but to be our third pass rusher behind Cleo Mackin? I love it. I would love it. I think it would be a great place for him to play. I don't think that's his best fit. I want him in the middle of the defense. I want him being that, that second level type of guy who can play off the edge in certain packages, a guy that you can move around if you really want. Uh, if Kenneth Murray steps up, great, awesome. You can play him off the edge and, and play him a lot. I think he is – he's probably one of my favorite linebackers to come out of college in a long time. Like, I am all about it. But I want him to play linebacker because – Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about Sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Sheath underwear makes the most comfortable boxer briefs I've ever worn. If you're sick of boxers that are too loose or briefs that are too tight, Sheath is for you. The most comfortable boxer briefs you'll ever put on your body. You see, their stretchy fabric is made out of a moisture-wicking technology. They're super soft, keep everything cool and comfortable, and right in place. Sheath is particularly useful for staying cool while working out. Now, the most unique thing about Sheath underwear is that they have these dual pouches that keep your man parts separated, which prevents things from sticking together, keeps them right where they need to be. They'll be the most comfortable pair of boxer briefs you've ever won in your life. Plus, they have brand new materials like bamboo and mesh for even more cooling comfort. Go to sheathunderwear.com and get the most comfortable underwear you've ever worn. And if you use promo code IHEART, you'll also get 20% off your order. That's sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART for 20% off your order. Sheathunderwear.com. Promo code IHEART. Granted, Derwin James is going to be the leader of this defense, but the leader of a defense is supposed to be a middle linebacker, a guy who gets people positioned correctly, a guy who's the heart and soul from the center, and it radiates out. Devin Lloyd is 
by far one of my favorite players is in this entire draft. Well, and then what about re- reversing roles? Drafting a guy like Devin Lloyd to be our middle linebacker and then delegating Kenneth Murray to that rotation. I don't think he would be our third pass rusher, but if he was, I don't know, in the rotation. Here's, here's my issue in this class of linebackers. It seems like everybody played off the edge at some point. Right. Um, just I was re- going through tape after tape after tape. And every single guy played that role, but I don't, I, I want guys with length on the edge. I want guys mm-hmm. who've got a little more weight. Devin Lloyd's like 230 pounds. Like he can play off the edge, but you don't want him spot, to. Yeah. yeah sure. You don't want those guys to like even Michael Parsons, who I think is a great pass rusher. I think he still belongs in the middle of the defense. Now in certain packages, you can move him out there. If the injury bug hits you and you know, you lose Mac or, or, um, Bosa, then yeah, obviously you can do that. But his place is as a middle linebacker, as are most middle linebackers. And if they give you the ability to rush off the edge or something, those are packages that are specific to certain points in the game. You know, if it's third and long, if it's whatever the, the situation is, right? I still want Devin Lloyd to play middle linebacker because I feel like that's what he is built for he looks like a big middle linebacker who can just blow things up and just it's just a terror yeah I I agree with you I just wanted to get your thoughts on it and I'm a big fan of Devin Lloyd too and I didn't know he was from San Diego that just makes me like the guy even more exactly I'm going to talk about N'Kobe Dean one of the the premier playmakers in that dominant Georgia defense and he was actually the one who was awarded the 2021 Buckus Award given to the nation's top linebacker. And it's actually Dean's not his first time winning the award. I, I knew they gave it out at the at, in the NFL. They gave it out in the college level. I had no idea that they give it out every year at the high school level. But in 2018, Nicobe Dean also took the Buckus Award as a high school senior. The guy is a very balanced prospect where he plays both the run and the pass extremely well. And he's a legit triple threat linebacker really good in coverage, an absolute disruptive blitzer, and he has incredible play recognition and range. We're talking about his coverage skills. He just allowed a 30.7 quarterback rating when targeted last season. Broke up five passes. Really, for an off-ball linebacker, that is absolutely insane. And a, a part of it is because quarterbacks going up against that defense had no time to throw the ball because of all those pass rushers. But still, you got to give credit to Dean because he is a great coverage linebacker. He broke up five passes as well and also picked off two passes. When blitzing the passer, he's an absolute terror. He has incredible closing speed, and he gets in the quarterback's laps a lot of times before they can even finish their dropbacks. Because of his pass, because of his blitzing prowess, he racked up eight sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss, and 20 quarterback hurries. He's a really reactive athlete, quick, agile, he apparently runs a 4 or 5 40. That is yet to be confirmed. He didn't actually run at the combine, but at least in college, and you throw on the tape, it, it appears that he has the 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 sideline to sideline range that you are looking for. You know, and that's also a skill set that we all kind of thought K9 Kenneth Murray possessed when he was in college. And so when you watch Dean's tape, he's a very instinctual player, he plays with quick reaction speed, and his play recognition is top notch. And the reason I bring up Murray is because when you throw on his college tape at Oklahoma, he processed things a lot quicker than he does right now in the NFL. And the only reason I bring it up is because I, I question just a little bit, will Dean's reaction speed, you know, his anticipation, that part of his game, which made him such a lethal collegiate defender, is that going to translate to the next level? I believe yes, but because we just seen a very similar player have some struggles, it's just something to, you know, consider. I think Dean's going to figure it out because he's a very productive player. He's finished with at least 70 tackles in each of the last two seasons. If he slides a bit, it's good because, like you like you were saying, early off-ball linebackers need all those traits you were talking about. The one thing that Dean lacks is that elite size. He's six foot, 225 pounds. If he slides, it's going to be because of that. Beyond that, he's an v- incredibly reliable, consistent tackler. And even though he's six foot, foot he is a hard hitter for his size he could really bring the thunder 
when he comes downhill. I'm going to talk about Brandon Smith, the Penn State linebacker, 6'3", 240 pounds. Based on how he was utilized at Penn State, his best fits probably as a strong or weak side linebacker. He did both. He rarely played like dead center, which is kind of what Brandon Staley wants his linebackers to be. They want He wants them kind of lined up right behind the defensive tackle. Um, he, he did play middle at times, but it just wasn't very often. I actually saw him play quite a bit in the slot, though, also, uh, which is kind of abnormal to see. But Penn State lo- loves their linebackers. I mean, Penn State is a linebacker. You, they want their linebackers in the game pretty often. They want to stop the run. That's that's what Penn State does. Parsons um, was a Penn State alum, correct? He was, absolutely. There's a lot of good players that come out of Penn State. Um, he wasn't very consistent coverage, though, which is kind of why I didn't like him playing out there. Just didn't make sense. But when he is out there, he has a real good eye for screens. He's a, he plays really downhill. Uh, his read and react on what's going on in front of him is extremely impressive. He blows through blocks with some tenacity. He's extremely long and lengthy. He keeps defenders out of his body, out of his chest. He's a downhill player first, though. He he has sideline to sideline speed. It's nothing outrageous or like really, really good, but he can do it. Uh, he was extremely effective playing at or near the line of scrimmage as a blitzer. I mean, there were some ferocious hits in the, the three games that I watched. One of the issues with Smith, his angles of pursuit leave a lot to be desired. Uh, he always wants to go for the big hit. He's really susceptible to missing tackles because of it. Mm. He focuses too much on his size and doesn't always break down and make the safe tackle. It's fun to watch on tape, but it's a risky you're going to take when, when you draft him. Uh, based on his draft profile, uh, I don't really see a fit to the Chargers just because of how Brandon Staley wants his linebackers to play, kind of right behind the line of scrimmage, kind of be the safe tackler. Um, the Chargers linebackers did play downhill, which is what you wanted to see, but I feel like he's just too risky. He's, he's a full speed and go type of player. Um, just looking at the linebackers that we have, right, Tranquil, White, Murray, they're just built differently for the role that, we have there, right? Those players that are more, much more athletic. They're faster. They're a little undersized. Uh, I think he's going to go somewhere probably in the third round with some upside to be taken kind of toward the back half of the second. Uh, he's a good overall player. He's going to find himself as a rotational starter early on his career and probably be a pretty reliable starter for the rest of his career after that. Cool. I'm looking, I looked at Chad Muma. Uh, out of Wyoming, and he's actually a third-generation Wyoming Cowboy football player. Both his dad and his grandfather played there. Just a little fun fact for you to add to your draft night bingo card. Um, He's a very versatile, instinctual player. He can play all three linebacker positions. He did so in college. His best trait, I would say, is his tackling ability. He led the nation last season with 142 tackles, and in 13 games played, that's 11 tackles a game. That's phenomenal production, and he gets guys to the ground. He tackles the right way. Right? He fires his feet through contact, and he's very disciplined with his technique. And when he when he hits, he's also firing his arms, and he's wrapping up, and that's why he was able to tackle at such a consistent rate. When he's delivering these shots, he's very powerful. When he brings those arms on top of it, That's what leads to him having such a low missed tackle rate. It's that, his tackling technique, but also because he's rarely in position to get faked out because he takes such great angles to those ball carriers to cut them off, and it puts them in favorable positions to make those tackles. He is one of the most disruptive run defenders in college football last year. He's He's a guy who analyzes the field very fast, and because of that, he has a knack for sniffing out what offenses are trying to run. He diagnoses plays very quickly and something Amuma does very well, which Kenneth Murray, I, I think you could say Kenneth Murray's biggest weakness right now. Muma does a very good job of stacking blocks, preventing running lanes that way. And he also has the ability to get off blocks once he does get engaged and blockers get into his chest plate. Muma is a very talented block shedder. He's also very good in coverage. He has some athleticism man up against tight ends. Also the reflexes to follow running backs out of the backfield. He's actually a DB in high school, and those coverage skills haven't left him despite the position change in college. 
Last season, he allowed 25 receptions, 270 yards, and just a single touchdown. That's really impressive when you throw in the fact that he intercepted three passes and returned two of those for touchdowns. As a defender, you're not getting chances to score a lot. It's very hard to produce more points for your team than you allow, right? Muma literally scored twice as many touchdowns as he gave up. That That's pretty impressive. You hear Devin Lloyd, N'Kobe Dean a lot when we're talking about the best linebackers in this class. Muma's not the freak athlete. He's he's not the freak athlete that those two are, but his discipline, technique, his football intelligence, that's what's going to make him a phenomenal pickup for defenses that do need help at the second level. He's looking at a second-round grade right now, so unfortunately I think the Chargers stand a very low chance of drafting a player like Muma, but if he's around in the third, it would be an absolute steal in my opinion. The guy is incredibly strong. He actually led all linebackers, all linebacker prospects in the combine with 27 reps on the bench press. The guy is strong, yoked out of his mind. Nice. I'm talking about Brian Samoa, uh, six foot, 226 pounds, comes out of Oklahoma. He ran a four, five, six, 40 yard dash. So he's athletic. Uh, he's another downhill linebacker. He's always looking for the big hit. He's extremely explosive in his beeline to the, the ball carrier. Yeah, he's more of a fast linebacker who translates his speed to power than he is a power linebacker, though. He's an attacker, uh, but that size disadvantage, like I said, 226 pounds, it's gonna, it's gonna, he's gonna struggle to get off blocks. Uh, he's a little undersized for a linebacker, but more like a tall DB than a true linebacker. Uh, probably needs to add another 15 to 20 pounds to really hold his his ground against the run. Uh, like I said, he makes up with that that size disadvantage purely with his speed but there's a drawback to that he likes to over pursue and it leads to him getting out of position often needs to know how to use his speed but also understand how he's got teammates outside of him who are containing and pushing the ball carrier back into him he's just too eager to get outside and beeline it toward the the running back um he just he's just gonna he's gonna take himself out of a lot of plays kind of what similar to Kenneth Murray does right now. Uh, Kenneth Murray, he likes to over-pursue things, and you see it pretty often. Uh, he also has a tendency to undercut blocks, which is typical of smaller linebackers. You typically want your linebackers to play over the top of blocks. Uh, when they don't, it creates larger, larger rushing lanes. He doesn't hold his point of attack, and he doesn't minimize the running uh, lanes. Bleacher Report compared him to Duke Riley, I, I think he gets faked out on play actions and misdirection plays as well. Um, he's not very patient. He doesn't sit and read what's going on in front of him. Uh, he, he does flow with the offensive line, but he isn't quick to react to, to the misdirections or the motions pre-snap. It, he also loses gap assignments. Again, it's an over-pursuit issue. Um, his speed and athleticism does show up in pass protection. I think he's going to be a pass uh, pro type of linebacker. He gets sufficient depth. He can drop pretty deep in cover two if he's asked to, uh, to take away some deep crossers if asked. Uh, he won't do much in the charger scheme, but the, the ability is there. He's best when peeling out of his zone to support in dump offs and uh, because he just closes in a hurry. I like Asamoa kind of as a, a, a mid to late round project that offers some athleticism if you want, want it for special teams. I'm just unsure how valuable a mid-round linebacker is when we've already got Neiman and Ogbong Vamiga that we're pretty high on. If he's available, you know, in the fifth round and there's value there, uh, then I could see them going with that. But ultimately, I'd much rather go with, like, uh, you know, the five linebackers we already have on the roster. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense unless we're drafting a starter to me when we've got two backups and we only play – two linebackers and we have two backups for both of them as well. I agree. I, I, I think we need a legit starter. I think we got some depth pieces. I got a ton of potential. I think we're lacking a legit starter. Um, the next guy I was looking at was Leo Chanel from out of Wisconsin, an athletically gifted physical playmaker who during his time with the Badgers rarely ever left the field. He has the ability to be a three-down linebacker in the NFL, and he's also coming off a phenomenal season. The only time he really left the field was he, he played 11 games last year, and the only time he got off the field was two games he was forced to miss because of COVID-19. 
still with those two games missed, he still led the Badgers with 115 tackles. He's very explosive off the snap, and I know in our industry the term shot out of a cannon is completely overused. But against the run, that's exactly what Chanel does. He blows through blocks. He's a player who lives in the backfield. And he led the Big Ten, actually seventh in the entire nation, with 18.5 tackles for loss last season. Coming into this season, he was not looked at as an elite pass rusher, but I think you saw in the 2021 him take significant strides in that regard. He's developing a quality spin swim move, and he's using that to his advantage it allowed him to lead all Badger defenders with eight sacks. Chanel you know, really helped his tr- uh, stock tremendously at the combine. He tested extremely well, and he ha- he brings the prototypical size that you're looking for for an off-ball linebacker at 6'2", 250 pounds, and boasts that excellent athletic ability. Just let me get into the stats. 4'5", 340, seventh fastest among linebackers, 40 and a half inch vert tied for second highest and a 10, eight broad jump tied for fifth amongst linebacker prospects. It's, you know, given with that, that he's a gym rat, but when you throw in the fact that he maxes out at the bench press at 420 pounds, the guy could power clean 385 easily. That takes some dedication to get your body to that level. That's scary. (laughs) That's scary. That's a scary guy. And, that's all effort in the gym, but that effort is also translates to the field. He's a, one of those high motor guys, someone who's never taken a playoff, and he's giving you 110%. Even if you're down 50, he's not giving up. He doesn't care. He's out there to take people's heads off, and he can definitely improve on his coverage skills. He doesn't have the processing speed of the other guys that I've been talking about, but what he, be, given what he does well, I do expect Chanel to hear his name called early day two. I'm going to talk about Darian Beavers. Man, this dude is fun to watch. 6'4", 250 pounds, came out of Cincinnati. First, like, he's huge. He's so much bigger than everybody else on the field. You just see, like, this thick frame packed with muscle. But at that size, he also carries it really, really well. He had a 39-inch vert, Mm -hmm. uh, ran a 4.67, so he's not the fastest. He doesn't fly around, but like I said, he carries his weight really well. Not many guys are jumping 39-inch verts. Like you said, 41, uh, 40.5, right? And that was second highest. Yeah. At his pro day, 39 inches. I mean, DBs aren't even doing that. Um, that was, like, really, really impressive to me. It just really shows his explosiveness overall. Maybe not has the long speed at 4.67, but 4.6 is pretty decent for a linebacker, in my opinion. Uh, he was a, a Dick Buckus Award finalist last season. Uh, he played in the Reese's Senior Bowl. As a high school player, he was a safety and wide receiver. And then in college, he added 100 pounds to his frame. Whoa. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> he started his career at UConn before transferring to Cincinnati, uh, mainly to be closer to home. Also, for what is worth, he's a 4.0 student in high school and in college all the way through. Extremely bright kid. And you see the lights turn on in the house on the football field. He's extremely physical and versatile, played primarily in the middle as a true linebacker, but he gives you the ability to line up off the edge as a, as a, uh, a light edge. Uh, but he is also like a power rusher over a, a speed rusher. Uh, he's a very solid t- tackler, likes to get in on the action, always trying to get in on the action, which is what you want from your linebackers. Uh, he, at a, times he has a, a tendency to gasp, grasp for tackles, reaching out, sometimes just hitting space. Um, He will be better at taking on bigger backs than he will at more agile ones. Plays his zones very, very well. You can tell he's a converted safety. Comes down, takes away crossers, knows how to time them just right for really jarring hits. Takes wide angles to the running back on wheel routes to get out of the way of teammates who are playing chase on crossers, the corners. Uh, He doesn't sit in space by himself. He's likely not a player you want running downfield with more athletic tight ends, but he does play the middle of his zone pretty, pretty well. He was an impact player on a really, really good Cincinnati defense that included Armand uh, Gardner and Majai Sanders. But you can tell, like, he's the leader of that defense. Pro Football Network has him outside the top 150, but overall, I think he's an impact player. I could see him drafted, you know, kind of in the 90s, 
area to even even kind of into the second. Uh, I think that there's some limitations to his overall athleticism that it's going to make him fall a little bit. But when you look at this dude, he's huge. Like he's yoked. All right. Well, keeping with the theme, talking about big linebackers, I'm look. I looked at Quay Walker, the other Georgia linebacker, the unforgotten piece of that Georgia defense, and unlike Dean, his, you know, his 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 college teammate, he's Quay Walker is not the least bit undersized. He is a giant human being at six four, two hundred forty pounds. He has more of the build of a typical edge rusher than an off ball linebacker, and the dude can absolutely fly. He has tremendous straight line speed. Actually, runs a four five two forty. The kid can really move. He's a sound coverage defender. He has a great understanding of how to reroute receivers as well as when to find and sink into those throwing windows. Against the run game, he has great lateral burst and just a knack for clogging those running lanes. With his length, 6'4", man, he's really great in his pursuit, tracking down ball carriers, and he makes some very impressive shoestring tackles. There were many instances last season where I was taking a look at his tape it looks like Walker's way out of tackling range, but at the last second with his 6'4 frame, long arms can cover a lot of space that way. He definitely made some athletic diving type of tackles last season. With his size and his physicality on top of it, oh, wait, whoa, whoa. getting a little ahead of myself. He has very good eyes. He's a very aggressive when he does decide to react, and he's a physical player. He's looking to deliver those big shots, and it's that size. It's that willingness to play physical football that makes him a very hard defender to block. He has a good understanding of when to take on blocks, when to slip. He can definitely use some refinement with his hands. He's not great with his punches, and it it gets him in trouble when linemen get into his chest plate. But he, he needs to use them more, but that's something, you know, you can work on. As a tackler, Walker is a guy you can rely on. Once he gets his hand on you, you're getting taken down to the turf. He totaled 65 tackles last year, and he only missed three tackles all season in 13 games. Right now, you have Walker looking at a third-round grade, who I think would be a tremendous depth piece with starter potential if he can improve on his coverage abilities and add a little more juice as a pass rusher. Still, Walker was a critical part of that dominant Georgia defense. He obviously doesn't get nearly as much attention as some of his other teammates, but he's still a high-quality prospect. I'll uh, close out on mine. Uh, Coney Dang from uh, Cal, 6'6". Let me say that again. 6'6", linebacker at 240 pounds. I think that this guy could be a diamond in the rough. He's got a really interesting story. Uh, so he actually was on season four of Last Chance U uh, that followed the independent community college, transferred from the Virginia Military Institute to the community college. And if you don't know what Virginia Military Institute is, it's it's a difficult, difficult school to get into. Uh, the structure of that school probably wasn't something he was into, so he ended up transferring to ICC, where he became a four-star JUCO transfer. He only played in four games in 2020 due to COVID and one game last year due to an ankle injury, he had tightrope surgery on his ankle, which really knocked him out of the year. So since he hasn't played a whole lot, he's probably going to fall out of uh, the draft and be a, uh, a, a camp body somewhere. What's so tantalizing about him is his length. I mean, six, six, he's got these long gorilla arms that really like helps him wrap up when he tackles and he keeps defenders off of him. He played on the edge and at middle linebacker. I'd prefer him to play at the edge because I think that with his size, with what he has to, to, to show there, that's something worth developing. Defenders with long arms who can rush a passer really go unnoticed. He has incredible blend, uses those arms to keep separation coming off the edge, which really helps pass ranchers bend the corner. He's also really athletic. He's got really good speed. Uh, he played in the slot for the Cal Bears. He rushed the passer. He spent some time in the box. He's got a lot of versatility. Uh, he's strong. He stays off blocks. Uh, and he makes some really impressive tackles when you think like a ball carry squeeze out of. 
Uh, where he struggles primarily is going to be in pass coverage. Uh, he looks lost at times. It seems like it's it's processed. He doesn't always read and, and direct very well, read and react. Uh, he's just really slow to process information in front of him. Also, at his height, he doesn't really get low, and he doesn't really break down. Defenders are going to end up running through him, and he's going to make the tackle, but he's going to give up extra yardage. I just really like Dang as a guy to stash on the practice squad, develop that part of his game. Uh, I think sitting out two years really put him behind uh, in the mental part of the game, but I think that he's got a lot of traits that you'd like uh, to bring in, maybe draft him as a throwaway seventh-round pick, get him on the practice squad, and really develop the the intangible, uh, the things that aren't intangible, like those the, the, the size, the arm length. Um, he's got the ability – he just doesn't have the mental makeup quite yet. That's it. Do you know, do you remember what season he was on season last season four? Season four, the last the one the last one at ICC. Yeah, huh, I don't remember. And was he one of the main? Here's the funny thing: he didn't get a whole lot of screen time, like at all. But yeah. he was their top recruit. He was a four star JUCO transfer. That's crazy. Well, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I I, I watched all of those last chance to use and I did it, that name didn't ring a bell and then Cal Berkeley's right in my backyard I didn't yeah. and it makes sense that he only played one game I didn't even recognize the name the reason I even got put on his radar is um there's a guy on Twitter he's a he does a lot of the draft um uh film study stuff let me find his name I can't think of his name but he's been raving about him for a while but uh, he has the unteachable stuff you can't teach being giant and if 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 what is if he's struggling coverage, if he's just struggling with leverage, I, I wouldn't mind taking a, a shot on a Mark, guy undrafted. Mark Jarvis has been raving about this guy forever. And everybody knows Mark Jarvis as the the scout master, in my opinion. Like that guy he's does a lot. Often. And uh Mark Jarvis is the one that got me on his radar like two years ago. And oh, I've really? been I've been bummed out because I haven't been able to watch him play because of COVID and then because of the ankle injury last season. Well, I hope he can heal up and make a camp somewhere, at least get a, a legit shot and a legit look to make an NFL roster. I wrapped up my prospect looks at looking at Nephi Sewell out of Utah, the younger brother of Panay Sewell, a very high recruited offensive tackle out of Oregon last season, got drafted to the Detroit Lions. Unlike Panay, Nephi is a very raw, an unrefined prospect who actually spent his first three seasons in college as a DB. He was playing safety when he first arrived at Utah. Uh, and, you know, he was relatively a non-factor in the secondary. He didn't break out until 2020 when he made that switch to linebacker. And last season was really when he came into his own for the first time in his collegiate career. He he didn't look lost, and he looked like he belonged as an off-ball linebacker, and he's coming off his best season in college. He tallied 89 tackles, 7.5 tackles for loss, had one interception, also forced a fumble. He doesn't have the size that you're looking for. He's very similar in stature to N'Kobe Dean. He Nephew clocks in at six foot, 226 pounds. So his career in the NFL is going to rely heavily on his coverage skills and overall his ability to carve out a role as a linebacker in those nickel and dime packages, which are just becoming so common in today's NFL as NFL defenses are adapting to these air raid offenses that we're seeing on the other side, his reaction speed, his change of direction. That's probably the most enticing part of Sewell's game. He's extremely twitchy. He ran a 7.013 cone drill, the second fastest uh, out of all the prospects. So that's where he is. He doesn't have the straight line speed. I want to say he ran like a 4.7 straight line speed, but he's quick, fast to uh, side to side, which is very critical in off-ball linebackers when you need to shuffle your feet, fill holes. Um, so he, he has some he has some good aspects to his game, and he's a gamer. He wants to be out there. He's a football player he really he's a football player without a position he he's an athlete he just needs to find a role for him I, he has the makings of a tremendous special teams player in my opinion i think he could that's really where i think he's going to carve out his role and i think he could he has potential to be a pro bowl caliber like a daryl stuckey you're never going to hear about him 
unless he's on special teams. But I really think that's where he's going to make a name for himself. I wonder if you could put him in the slot and let him be like a big slot uh, type of player. That was a thought of mine too. Just the 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 hybrid linebacker, um, not quite as physical as Adrian Phillips, but similar skill, similar coverage ability, and similar reaction speed. So that's kind of where I see him a elite special teamer and potential to be one of those hybrid linebacker safeties that are, are just so popular in today's NFL. His hit the knock on him is in college. You see tons on the tape where he's just manhandled out of place, shoved aside like a loose paper bag when he's trying to make tackles. And it's something that you're extremely concerned about when you're looking at Sewell considering drafting him still football runs in the guy's family. It, it, he has all the competitiveness you want from a player. And I have no doubt that whatever team does take a flyer out on Sewell, they're getting a guy who's not afraid of putting it in the work. And I believe if he gets an opportunity, he's eventually going to become a productive player. You just need to have the right fit. You need to have some patience with him. Currently, he's sitting with a fourth to fifth round grade. I think it would make a lot of sense for the Chargers who need some help on special teams. We could benefit from adding another pass coverage linebacker, but th that's where his fit's going to be. Special teams day one with potential to develop into one of those hybrid dime package, nickel package, off-ball linebackers. Well, that shores up our linebacker uh, our linebacker episode. I think we're going to go to edge. Is that where we want to go next or defensive tackle? I, I think edge makes most Let's go to Edge. All right, let's go to Edge. Let's find ourselves some uh, Edge players. And we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>